Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. We are back with another episode after a week off. Thank you so much for listening. While I took that mini break and avoided social media, I was actually not taking a break. (laughs) I was working on a website redesign and preparing the next several episodes. So if you haven't yet, go check out our new website, teachingartistpodcast.com. I am also so excited about what is coming And I can't wait to get to this amazing conversation coming up with Beth Welch. She is such a wealth of knowledge about professional practices as an artist and speaks so beautifully about her work. But before we get to that, I do have a few announcements. First, lawmakers in several states are working on legislation that will restrict critical race theory and anti-racist curriculum and instruction basically requiring teachers to lie to students about the role of racism, sexism, and oppression throughout U.S. history. Paula Lees of Anti-Racist Art Teachers has compiled a very helpful document that includes summaries of all of these bills, their status, and links to petitions and other actions you can take. So you can comment on these bills regardless of where you live and let your voice be heard. Paula Lees and Abby Birhanyu facilitated a meeting to discuss taking action and shared this quote from Jalia Lyles Dunn, Director of Learning for Justice. She says, Anti-bias and anti-racist pedagogy are about truth-telling to ensure our country does not repeat or perpetuate the mistakes of our past. The truth can be uncomfortable at times, but it is necessary to achieve the mission of our democracy and the pursuit of justice. In the hands of highly skilled educators, the truth can be transformative and help shape future outcomes for the betterment of all people. We urge school leaders at all levels to stand firm against hate commit to truthful education, and vigorously resist efforts to maintain the status quo. So call your elected officials, email them, be a bug in their ear to let them know that you expect them to stand up for justice and equity. I'll add a link in the show notes to a post I shared with some resources and more info, and most importantly, a link to that fantastic document that Paula Lees made. Now, I also wanted to remind you that our monthly Art Educators Lounge meeting this month will be a chance to share mini artist talks. If you would like to present your work and get feedback from a supportive group of peers, you can sign up at the link in the show notes. And if you'd prefer to just come and watch, observe, be part of the community, We will be sharing the link to join us very soon. So stay tuned on our email and Instagram at Teaching Artist Podcast. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. 
I'll share a bit about the featured artist here, as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. This week's featured artist is A.J. Schnettler. A.J. is a non-binary, multiracial photographer and printmaker born and raised on the south shore of Long Island. They decided to get a new perspective on life and education by moving to the West Coast for their BFA. They received their Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in photography with a minor in printmaking from the San Francisco Art Institute in 2019. Their work is based around what one does to provide self-acceptance, whether it is through identity or through the space surrounding them, and how to feel at peace, as well as work discussing mental health, specifically depression and anxiety in relation to body dysmorphia and childhood trauma. Their printmaking work more specifically discusses the topics of depression and anxiety. They have shown work at Aperture 2019, Academy Art Museum, Texas Photo Society, and Proyectos Galleria. And I wanted to share AJ's statement as well. They say, Non-binary is a term relatively new to the world, leaving many people unaware of the word's meaning. Non-binary is defined in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as relating to or being a person who identifies with or expresses a gender identity that is neither entirely male nor entirely female. As someone who identifies as non-binary and knows multiple non-binary identifying people, I understand each person has a different relationship to this word. People identify this way regardless of race, sexuality, or assigned gender, but what ties us together is how we identify. Then AJ also talks specifically about the work that we will be sharing. So they say, This piece originated as how I would come out to my family, but has expanded into representing this diverse community to portray that there is no singular way to be non-binary. The people who I am collaborating with for this series had their portrait taken on a 120mm color positive film, which is known for its bright, saturated colors, and parallels the positive celebration of these individually lived identities. Each portrait which they have chosen of themselves is presented next to each person's statement on why they identify the way they do. This statement, printed in their handwriting, makes the piece more inviting and intimate for the viewer. The piece as a collection ultimately informs those who don't know about the community in a non-threatening, non-inclusive approach, welcoming people to learn with open arms. This piece, originally displayed on a wall, will be transforming into a book to allow the piece to be more accessible and involve more non-binary people. Beautiful. I love how the concept and the form of the work come together and really work together to convey this message. So you can view AJ's work on Instagram at AJ Schnettler, and I will link to that as well. We will be sharing their work on our social media and also our blog, which you can see at teachingartistpodcast.com. And if you would like to submit your work to be featured, you can do that at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Beth Welch talked about finding her voice and discovering what she wanted to say with her artwork. 
She shared so many valuable tips for artists about working with museums and improving your chances when submitting to open calls or sending proposals to curators. Be organized. As hard as that may be sometimes, it makes such a big difference when you make the curator's life easier. Her perspective as a museum professional offered insight into not only working as an artist with museums, but also connecting with museums as an educator and the ways museums serve as educational institutions. Beth also spoke eloquently and beautifully about her own work and shared vulnerably about the impact of her mother's stroke and dementia. I was in tears. You might hear some of my sniffles in there. I loved how she also shared how scary it is to put deeply personal work out into the world and to share the thoughts behind it. Yet that is what creates such beautiful connections. Thank you, Beth, for sharing with us. Beth Welch was born in Monroe, Louisiana in 1992. After graduating high school, she studied art for a year in Gorizia, Italy, at Liceo Artistico Max Fabiani. She graduated from Louisiana Tech University School of Design in 2015 with her BFA. Through her current drawing series, she explores motherhood and the mutable remembrances of childhood in the context of memory. She is the recipient of the Best in Show Award for the National 2D Juried Competition at the Dallas Metro Arts Contemporary Gallery. She also received an honorable mention for her work in the 33rd competition at the Alexandria Museum of Art. In 2021, she exhibited a solo exhibition at the Firehouse Gallery in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Her work has been exhibited at the Alexandria Museum of Art, the Culture Center of Cape Cod, Dallas Metro Arts Contemporary, the Monsieur Museum of Art, I Like Your Work podcast Summer Juried Competition, the Stay Home Gallery in Nashville, Tennessee, Women's Work, Art in Poughkeepsie, New York, the Baton Rouge Courthouse, Southern University Innovation Center, Kelwood Contemporary Gallery, Commercial Interiors Group Baton Rouge, and Brownsville Museum of Fine Art. Welch has been published in issue 20 of Create Magazine. She's also been published in 225 Magazine, Country Roads Magazine, and In Register. She's a mentor with the Artist Mother podcast critique programs. Today, Welch works as the Exhibitions Coordinator and Public Programs Coordinator at the Louisiana Art and Science Museum in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She maintains her studio at her home in Geismar, Louisiana. I'm speaking with Beth Welch, and I'm so excited to hear from you because your perspective is a little bit unique here. You are an artist, but also a museum professional. So we'll get into a little bit of museum education, but I feel like you also just have a wealth of knowledge around, you know, installation and working with museums. Before we get to that, I would love to hear just a little bit of your background. So could you kind of walk us through how you got to where you are now? Sure. So I'm originally from Monroe, Louisiana, which is a relatively medium-sized city in northern Louisiana. And I've known that I wanted to be an artist since I was about five years old. I'm the baby of five kids and it was a really good way for me to differentiate myself from the herd of siblings that I got to interact 
with on a daily basis. So I really identified myself as the artist. And I did something unusual in high school where I decided that I wanted to be an exchange student. So I met a lady from New Zealand who was on group study exchange with Rotary. And my dad was a Rotarian and a past president, and he was really involved. But we kept this student, and she was lovely. And it was just really neat to meet someone from the other side of the earth and learn about her culture. And my dad was like, if you're ever interested, Rotary's got youth exchange. And I was like, yep, I'm interested. So (laughs) at the age of 14, I was like, I really want to be an exchange student. And my mom said over my dead body. And then (laughs) my dad and mom negotiated and we came to the conclusion that I could be 18 years old. The day I touched down on foreign soil, mom would allow it. So I was 18 (laughs) in four days. (laughs) And I went to a little bitty city named Gorizia. Italy. And I actually Mm -hmm. got to study at an art school there. I started at a language school, but learning German, French, and Latin and Greek on top of Italian was a little bit much. So I asked to be transferred to the art school. And so I studied there and had some amazing experiences. Rotary was really lovely, but I got to live with families and my families didn't speak any English. So I learned Italian very quickly. Because they knew like, we go and bathroom, we eat. Like, you know, like, we go. And I was like, okay, we're going to go then. (laughs) So very limited English, but they were lovely and just so loving. And I had an Italian teacher there. And I could draw realistically by that time pretty well. And I could paint pretty well too. But I had these two professors. And one said to the other professor in class one day, he said, look how amazing she can paint. Everything is so realistic. She sits quietly in the corner because I didn't speak the language. But she sits quietly in the corner and she just paints and she makes these beautiful things. And the other teacher said, so what? In Italian? And then she translated it for English for me. And she said, so what? And I was like, okay, that's... She says, you say nothing. You copy, you say nothing. And I was like, okay, this is a really harsh critique. But Mm -hmm. she got me thinking. And I could tell that like she did it not in a vindictive way, but it was like, like, what are you going to say? And I was like, she's Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) So what if I have Mm -hmm. this skill? If I don't use it to say anything, then it's kind of wasted in a way. And so I loved that she said that, even though it kind of gave me palpitations. (laughs) And I then started thinking about what I was going to say with my art. And so a little bit more going back in time again, but my mom had a stroke when I was 16. Mm. It was very severe. They told us in the waiting room, like she wasn't going to make it through the night. It was due in large because of obesity and high blood pressure and she didn't Mm. take care of it. Well, she tried, she really did, but it's just sometimes it's a beast in itself. And I remember I had already applied to be an exchange student at that point. And my dad was like, no, you still need to go. I was like, I have to help you take care of mom because it was kind of like taking care of a 300 pound newborn in a way because I would get home from high school. Well, I'd take a lunch break and go to the hospital, to the ICU to see her. And she's still with us, but it was just the first year was really, really difficult. And I remember telling my dad in the kitchen, like, there's no way that I can go abroad. I'd already been been placed. I'd already like gotten everything taken care of. I'd applied. I'd been interviewed. And he was like, you have to go. You can't let your parents stop you from your dreams. I will not allow that to happen. Mm. So he's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And so when mom got sick, though, everything changed. Mm -hmm. I would come home from school 
school, I would stop by the grocery store, I would cook dinner, do my homework, have everything ready. My dad was an attorney and then he would come home, we would have dinner. And I was the only child still at home. Everyone else mm. had already gone to college or like was married and in master's programs. And I was the only one still at home. And then we would go home, we would take a plate of actual cooked meal <laughs> to the hospital so that mom could have something that wasn't hospital food. Yeah. And then we would chat with her and then we would come home and do it all again the next day. Mm. I remember when she first got home, it was like every three hours she would need to go to the bathroom. And so dad and I would get up and help her go to the bathroom. And it was a lot like having a newborn. It was, yeah. it taught me a lot though, whenever yeah. I had a kid. And so fast forward through all of that. And I went to Louisiana Tech University because honestly, it was a really great school, but we could also afford it. So that was nice because when you have someone who is medically ill for a very long time, you get to pay over a million dollars in medical expenses. Yeah. So right. dad was like, please get a scholarship wherever you go. <laughs> And I did. And it was great. I got an art scholarship. They have an amazing art program at Louisiana Tech. Like they taught us so much more practical stuff than I think bigger institutions get. Uh, they taught us how to build a website, how to have a resume, how to make a CV, how to write an artist statement, how to present, do an artist talk. It was amazing. Like even at a bachelor's level, they expected a certain level of professionalism that I don't see in a lot of universities. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And it was because like it's a small enough university that like I think the teachers have a little bit more weight and pull and they're able to be like no we really need to prepare them for the real world out there mm -hmm. which was lovely <laughs> and then after graduating <laughs> from school no one was hiring anyone with an art degree my husband got a job in Baton Rouge I started applying everywhere under the sun I started working at a paint store <laughs> so I was like color theory sure yeah so I worked at a paint store for one year and then I worked at a floor store for two years a little over for two years and then I landed the job at the museum. I'm the exhibitions coordinator and I just got a promotion as a public programs coordinator as well. So I'm the exhibitions and public programs coordinator at the Louisiana Art and Science Museum. But I never would have gotten that job if I hadn't sold floors to the people who were fixing up one of the things. Like I met the curator and a couple other people because they were fixing up the floors in one of the rooms. And so I just uh. somehow how always made the connection of like, you know, I am an artist, I will get into the art field someday. And mm -hmm. like, I mean, I was working. <laughs> I was painting oh. at night whenever I was finished with my selling carpet and tile. Oh, amazing. And I met them through that. Yeah. And so that is how I got the job that I currently have is through making a connection with people and they happen to need an exhibitions coordinator at that time. Wow. So I was able to say, yeah, I have experience hanging art. It was only my art and my friend's art, but I was like, yep, <laughs> lots of experience, tons. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's such an important skill to be able to kind of sell yourself and be like, I can do this and then grow into it. Yep. And that's what I've done. And luckily, Lexi Adams is our current curator, but at the time she was the collections manager and she really took me under her wing and was like, okay, this mm. is how we do it. And this is what we do. And she needed the help because it's really difficult to manage a collection and do current exhi exhibitions. Mm. So she was grateful to have me there because she had been doing it by herself for a few months. And so she was like, okay, now I get to train you fresh. And so I just tried to stay as coachable as humanly possible and help <laughs> out in every aspect. And I've learned so much. It's awesome. I love museum life. Like museum life is mm. amazing. And what does it look like now? Like 
like during the pandemic? I know you said you've still been open, Mm -hmm. but it's a little different. I forget which month we opened last Uh year, but we tentatively opened and then like we like officially opened, opened and it's been different. They had to lay off, I think 76% of our staff. So, I mean, it is skeleton crew, It's Mm -hmm. but we're making it happen. It's an art and science museum. So we have this like beautiful medley of scientific stuff as well as art. Mm. So we have a lot of really great people on the team that are pulling together. It's exhausting, honestly, but it's worth it because it's not, I love working in a museum because it's not selling a product. It's It's Mm -hmm. trying to make a difference in the world and to educate people and to bring access to a community and enlighten them in a way. So it's Mm -hmm. really kind of magical. I love that one of the things that I had to take upon as like a new job role for myself in the laying off of everyone is we lost all of our museum guides. So I got to be Mm -hmm. a museum guide as well as several other new jobs that all popped up like a graphic designer and all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. But yeah, I got to interact with the people and like talk to them about the exhibitions that we had on display. And it was just really magical to be able to talk to an adult who probably doesn't like sculpture, has never really seen a lot, and just came in because his kid wanted to see the dinosaur. But Mm -hmm. I get to help them realize that things can be said with art and through art and how magical that can really be and changing people's Mm -hmm. perspectives. Like we just had an exhibition of Frank Hayden's work and he was a really prominent black artist in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And he was making work about a lot of the stuff that we're facing today. And Mm -hmm. people knew him in the area and it was just really, really lovely to be able to like speak to a demographic that I think doesn't feel like they're heard all the time. And we didn't know that all of the BLM and everything like that was going to happen, obviously, but it just so happened that our show was up at that exact same time. And so being Mm -hmm. able to talk to people about that was really lovely. Yeah. And what other, so you have sort of recently been doing more of that museum guide work. (laughs) (laughs) What other sort of like museum education experience or just like tips would you have, especially for teachers that are thinking about working with museums? So first of all, museums are usually just itching to do educational programs. We collaborate with a lot of schools. We have a whole education Mm -hmm. department and they are an amazing bunch of women. And like, I just love working with them, but they do a really great job of making things accessible for multiple age groups which is hard mm-hmm. to do. And especially w- we always try to have an art and science combination. So for example, mm-hmm. right now we've got Eva Lee and Alice Simon, and they are two female artists who are also scientists. And we have a whole mm-hmm. display of their work. And one of them used a radiated acrylic and a particle accelerator to make these sculptures. It's just really interesting. And then they try to, we basically give that information to the education team and and then they make a curriculum based on that. And then they can present mm-hmm. it. Uh, normally we do school tours and maybe one day soon we'll do that again. Yeah. But normally we have a lot of school tours and we try to make activities based on the art exhibitions at the time and mm-hmm. coordinate those two things together. Yeah. And then now are there like Zoom tours yes. or anything like that? <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> I've participated in a few of them as well because they needed multiple people in the gallery because the schools wanted to have two classes going simultaneously. Mm. So I've been on 
some of those Zoom calls and they're really fun. I have gotten some <laughs> interesting questions from some of the children. But basically, I just take our little tablet and I flip it around and I give them a gallery tour. And I'm like, so this was created yeah. this year. And this is why it matters. <laughs> and then answer questions at the end. And some of the questions are really, really good. So I'm always excited about those. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be an observer or witness. My daughter's class did kindergarten class, did a Zoom tour of the Skirball Center oh, here in LA. And yeah, very interesting. Just hearing the, yeah, what the kindergartners had to say about okay, it. Okay, yeah, they've got some, uh, some, some thoughts. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I loved what you were saying as well about getting to talk to adults who maybe just have no sort of no background and maybe even no real interest yes. in art. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's really nice in a lot of ways because sometimes you can make the adults get into it through the kids. Like the kids are almost the gateway. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if you make the, and what I normally do is whenever I have a child in front of a sculpture that's not, you know, something that may interest them normally, I say, I make them find things. I almost make it like an I spy. So what is this? Mm. What is that? Why do you think that's there? And that usually mm-hmm. leads to further questions. Like we have this really beautiful piece that's by Frank Hayden and it's the 16 men and it's called 16 men make a rod. And it's this long sculpture. I think it's seven feet long by about 20 feet, 20 inches, sorry, not 20 inches tall. And it's these men and they almost look identical, but they're not. And they're all standing in line and Mm -hmm. they have votes in their hands and they say yes and no and yes and no. And some say, and there's no like pattern to it, but they're all putting their ballots into a box at the end. Mm -hmm. And he was a devout biblical figure. And so like, I get to ask them, why do you think there are 16 men standing in a line? What is a rod? And so Hayden was very devout Catholic and he used rod in the biblical sense of like a family line or lineage. So the rod of Aaron, the rod Mm -hmm. of Moses. And so then he used that to create this dialogue about how all of these men are in a family or in Mm -hmm. the same kind of family line. But they all Mm -hmm. look a little different, like their noses were a little different, their eyes are a little different, and each person had a different vote. So in a sense, Mm -hmm. even though you're from the same family, you can have different opinions and different thoughts and different votes and still be Mm -hmm. part of the unit. So like engaging the adults in that conversation at the same time of like making the kids find the votes because they're not very obvious. And so you have to look Mm -hmm. and see what's in their hands because they're small. And so kind of creating those conversations is just really magical. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to think about it and to do it to, you know, it it reminds me a little bit of VTS, which is visual thinking strategies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's in education, a way of looking at the work and really giving very little context to start with mm-hmm. and just kind of approaching it with kids as like, what's happening here? What do you see? Yeah. And then questioning it. And, like, why is that right, here? Right. Why do you think he cares? Why should you care? <laughs> right. Like, what makes you say that? Yeah. Where did you find that? And what else do you see? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yes, I do that. Yeah. It sounds totally aligned with the way that you're approaching it. Yeah. And it's really, really, like I said, it's just really neat because like whenever you graduate from school and you get into retail and it just kind of sucks your soul out. (laughs) You're just trying to sell people on products. It's just such a nice change to go into a Mm. museum sector and try to help people see the world in a different way, perhaps, Mm -hmm. than they did before, help them learn something.
something either about themselves or their community or their lifestyle. It's just really lovely. That's beautiful. And that must be such a nice shift. Oh, yes. (laughs) And I do do want to talk a little bit about submissions. Yeah. I also receive submissions like at the submissions at lasm.com or .org. Mm -hmm. So I do want to get to a point where we talk a little bit about what not to do and what to do for submissions. Yes. Whenever you're sending proposals and like the practical side of art, it's a really big Mm -hmm. deal if you're approached by a museum and you can't put some sort of budget together. Like you can ask further questions and things like that, but Mm -hmm. like you're in a position of selling a good in a sense. You kind of are. You're selling your art to us. We're trying to buy an idea in a way and Mm -hmm. we only have X amount of grant money to do it and we need to know how much it is. And you have to be able to have those conversations, especially with museum professionals and be okay with it. And it's fine if you need time to compute that. Mm. We had an artist who was an installation artist and we approached her and she said, I need measurements. And then if I get measurements, then I'll come back to you with a cost. And we said, okay, perfect. Mm. And we got her the measurements. And then we went back and forth on emails probably like 20 times, but it was fine Mm. because she was able to get us the price in the end. And you have to have a certain level of comfort with that. Yeah. Same with my art right now. If someone were to say like, how much do you charge for a commissioned portrait? I have a formula in my brain and I say, you know, mm-hmm. I charge $1.62 per square inch. It's on a bell curve though. So if you get an 18 by 20, it's like $250 with the frame. So, you know, you have to have that level of confidence to talk about the practical side of art, mm-hmm. because if we're approaching you, we've already, we've already kind of invested in your thought process and your visual. We need to know mm-hmm. all the other nitty gritty details of like, how do we get it to us? How do we get it to you? And mm-hmm. all of that, because shipping work is, I think, the most expensive thing. Oh, yeah. And in that situation, is it appropriate to ask what the budget is? It depends. You can ask that. It's uh, you can, Mm -hmm. but I would say I would try and come with a budget first, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or would it be, you know, I'm just thinking as an artist with zero museum (laughs) experience, (laughs) I would be thrilled if a museum Mm -hmm. approached me and then like so devastated if the number that I kind of pulled out from under a rock (laughs) happened to be too high and then they were like nope sorry okay so my advice on that would be don't pull it out from under a rock (laughs) pull it right pull it from a spreadsheet yes which I do have actually (laughs) yeah see so it it usually requires a few extra questions back and forth Mm -hmm. but you just be very practical about it you know do I are you going to fly me out am I going to fly myself out how's that going to work out am am I staying in an Airbnb or hotel am I local Mm -hmm. if I if I'm local then you don't have to pay for anything are Mm -hmm. we shipping are you shipping are you printing say you're in Europe and we want something and you're a photographer can you Mm -hmm. print in the U.S. and then we frame and then hang so mm-hmm. it, it comes back and forth with a lot of questions, but very like practical things. Right. And then usually your honorarium is what you're asking for. So like, mm-hmm. you know, however much money your time is worth or the mm-hmm. piece is worth, then that's when that's when you have that conversation. And I would calculate the amount of hours that you're planning on working mm-hmm. on it and then calculating from there how much you charge per hour and then go. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like it's very interesting just because so often we, I don't know, maybe it's just myself as an artist. I've been starting to look at these calls from places with more funding that yeah. do say like, give us a budget and we cover, you know, 
like you're saying, the travel expenses, you get mm-hmm. an honorarium for showing, mm-hmm. all of that sort of thing. But so far, I've been so accustomed to like, you know, the artist pays the shipping and the gallery's going to take half and like you're lucky to show it all <laughs> sort of mentality. Yes. You I'm know, familiar with that being an artist myself. Uh, yes. Yes. It's a little bit different in the museum sector. Right. So a lot of galleries and museums kind of keep the mentality of half on shipping. So if you, mm-hmm. and this isn't true for all institutions, it really depends on how much money we have in the budget. But sometimes the artist will ship too and the museum will ship back. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's covered both ways by the museum. Sometimes it's covered if you can. It, usually if it's local, you know, if you can come pick up your painting in your truck, we would really like that. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and we will say thank you. Because yeah. it usually <laughs> is inexpensive for the artist to show. And that's relative. So if it's just a two-dimensional work and you're local, it's, a, it, you know, we're asking you to bring your painting by so that we can hang it. And then we mm-hmm. do all of the expenses of painting the walls and doing the vinyl and doing the advertising. So it really right. is excellent exposure, but that's not always the case. It just depends. Like I said, with the Europe stuff and all that jazz. Yeah. And some artists need to install their own stuff. So they like want to come with their crates. So it just depends. Right. And then that might mean it's a little more expensive because they're factoring in the time it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. We had an artist come in from Boston on with a U-Haul. And so Mm -hmm. Austin to Louisiana is a little bit of a trek. Yeah. (laughs) So it was obviously more expensive for that. And he had a lot more work. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it's all relative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then how do you initially find the artist? You said there is a submission process. We have a submission process on our website. Not Mm -hmm. all museums have that. And Mm -hmm. we also have cold calls and I have done cold calls to other museums. So you're not alone if you've done that. And it's basically Mm -hmm. the advice I would have for that is the more organized you are, the more memorable you are. Mm -hmm. And we keep everyone's submissions on file. And sometimes we'll leave through them a few years later. So just because Mm -hmm. you get a no this year doesn't mean you won't get a yes in 2025 when we have a very specific (laughs) exhibition on a very specific thing right like iridescence or something like that and we're doing a big show based on that then we're going to start looking through our files at any artists who've done beetles bugs feathers you know like all the random oil soap all the weird things that are slightly iridescent that's when we start pulling from those files so Mm. it's a lot more goes into an exhibition than people may anticipate It's Mm -hmm. about 500 working hours per exhibition. Wow. We have over seven galleries and sometimes each one has a different exhibition in the gallery at that time. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a labor of love. The more organized you are, so if you send a PDF where you have your intro, bio, artist, CV, or resume, if you have a statement of intent saying, you know, like, this is what I want to display, this is why, Mm -hmm. this is why I think it fits your space. If you send a budget, extra bonus points for you. Mm -hmm. And if the budget includes, if you do need to travel, we've had artists even look at hotels that are within walking distance of the museum because we're downtown and they're like, Mm -hmm. this is a hotel that's downtown town and this is how much it is a night this is how many nights it would take me to install so this would be the cost of travel expenses so if you can break all that down for us it's really lovely Mm -hmm. and especially if you include your dropbox file with your 20 images as well as a couple shots of you in your studio things like that really do make a difference Mm -hmm. and like i said we keep them and we do meet annually to discuss them and if if you get a no one year it could be a yes in five or six years you never Mm -hmm. know 
what's going to happen. It's just important to get your art out there. But yeah, we do have a free submissions page and a lot of museums and things like that do have that section on their website. You just have to search for it. Yeah, that's great information. Mm -hmm. The other sort of follow up with that is if, you know, if I submit now something that's fresh now, and then I hear back in five years and that's like, you know, maybe I sold that work, hopefully, (laughs) or... Or it's just, you know, like not representative of what I'm doing now. Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't want to show it. Then you get to use your discretion. Right. Then it's just in the artist's wheelhouse at that time. So, Mm -hmm. and we do, whenever we pull the files, we look again at what, you know, what's on their website now. So Mm -hmm. obviously keep that up to date. But if they're still making some of the same work, then we'll have that conversation. If they're not making that same work, we'll say, do you have anything similar or is this in the same thought process? And if they say yes, then we're like, great. And if they say no, we either continue the conversation or say like, that's not what we're looking for, but we really love Mm -hmm. your work. You're doing a great job. Like, you know, it just depends on the exhibition. And we do plan out five years in advance. Yeah. So it's not a knee jerk and different institutions run in different ways, but ours Mm -hmm. is a little bit more planned out because the more time we have to plan, the more grants we can apply for and the more money we potentially can have. Right. And then it also seems like maybe having the connection between art and science and Mm -hmm. the education around all of that, like I could imagine that taking more time as well. And we have a planetarium. So then it's like, do they make any planetarium shows that follow along this line? Because we had a big color show in 2019 all on the science of color. Mm. And oh, it was so pretty. It was so beautiful. Amazing. (laughs) But we had in our planetarium at the time, a engineering and color theory show. It was really interesting. So like we try to merge stem to stern all sides of the museum into like making sense of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then what if I'm just going to keep asking questions that are like completely selfish for me. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Artists that maybe submit and have you know also applied for their own grant funding like mm-hmm. would that would that be something to include in the budget would that oh, yes. like look Please. look more favorable it just depends on the institution in particular like does mm-hmm. your work match the mission statement and mm-hmm. will the director and the board like it as well as we like it so like mm-hmm. there's a big team looking into it but mm-hmm. yes if you have grant funds please let us know yeah like that's helpful right that's really helpful <laughs> that's helpful information and yeah, yeah. and it if you have sponsors or anything like that, that's also good information for us to know because then mm-hmm. we know that we'll have to include that in our advertising as well. All right. Mm-hmm. Just be as transparent as humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a big thing. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. And then also thinking about the submissions and so many institutions kind of pushing forward with diversity and equity mm-hmm. sort of initiatives. Mm-hmm. Is that something that your museum is also looking at when they're looking through submissions, like making yes. sure that we're, yep. you know, showing this number of women? Is it that like cut and dry? Like we need this many women. We need this many. No, it's not like a number. It's not. Right. It's not, you know, we need X number, but we are very conscious of it and mm-hmm. we definitely pay attention to it mm-hmm. to make sure that everyone's voice is heard and that they know that they matter to us mm-hmm. and to our community. And so we definitely go in knowing in the back of our heads that we need to have that at the forefront of our minds, especially 
well, you know, historically it's needed to happen, but especially now. Right. So we do keep it in the back of our minds. But, you know, if the work is not something that fits our mission, then we know that mm-hmm. our director won't approve it. So no matter who you are. Yeah. So uh, there's no really getting around that because it does need to be approved. So there is mm-hmm. a process like we can like it all day long. But if our director doesn't like it or if our board's like, hell no, we're not having that, then we can't mm-hmm. do it. So, yeah. And are there, I don't know if you can even talk about that, but Uh-oh. are there are there times where, you know, sort of the staff, the team of, you know, you and the curator and are there mm-hmm. times where you're just so in support of a certain artist or a certain body of work and then you get the absolutely not from the higher up? <laughs> I don't think that's happened in my time at the museum. I mean, that's I'm sure good. it happens at museums, but mm-hmm. we think through a lot before we bring it through the director, right? just to make sure that everything aligns with what we feel that our community needs and what we want to show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so not not yet that I know of. I'm, I'm sure it happens. I mean, we, we have a lot of children at our museum, so we don't show as many nudes <laughs> right and we are also in the conservative south so you know there yeah. are certain things where we're like mm, don't know if we can do that but there's some that we can it just depends on what gallery we put it in and we usually put it in mm-hmm. one of the upstairs galleries so mm-hmm. we can kind of use a little more discretion up there so there are right. things like that you know our location and being in the in the south you know we have mm-hmm. to watch out for some of those things it's just how it is yeah but usually usually by the time we get it to the director we've gone through a lot of meetings right and everybody bringing up like what if this (laughs) yep what if this happens what if the van breaks down what if this happens you know for sure yeah I just find it interesting thinking through how to kind of change those systems how to shift Mm -hmm. and are we're actively doing that like yeah it's so nice to see our curator functioning like she is just she is amazing but Mm -hmm. we try to actively make sure okay we've got an open call let's make sure that we've got some people of color let's make sure that we have lgbtqi plus let's Mm -hmm. make sure that we have a good number of women let's make sure we have a good number of men like you know let's keep it diverse let's keep it Mm -hmm. even keeled so that everyone knows that they have a place in Mm -hmm. a museum and in an institution and in our community and in our culture and that they matter yeah absolutely Mm-hmm. I love that. And just hearing how, yeah, how an institution can shift culture a little bit, especially in a place like in the conservative South. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's really, it's really interesting because we, you know, being in the gallery, I'll see some people who have negative comments on certain things. And then I have mm-hmm. some people who stop and like get chills and get teary because mm-hmm. there's a piece, we had a piece that showed a ship of enslaved people. I'm like, uh. it's, it's tough. And it's a hard conversation, especially, you know, I'm a young white woman talking to, you know, a person of color about this subject. It's hard, mm-hmm. but I try really hard to listen if they want to talk and I try really hard to let them know that they're important Mm -hmm. and let them know that they have a really beautiful place where they are and that they're heard yeah and I'm sure just seeing seeing those images in you know in a museum setting like Mm -hmm. that's saying you know this is important this is a conversation we need to have yes yes 
Yes. <laughs> and it was really interesting, like, because, you know, you go on a date with someone when you're a teenager, like, where could we go? And you go to a museum because it's a hot date. And it's, you know, we have a lot of square footage. So it's been relatively socially distanced and very safe. So, you know, it's really interesting whenever the dates come in because they're young adults. <laughs> and then to be like, here's, here are some really deep artworks. Let's talk about how hard life is. Right. And it just gets an interesting conversation but I loved we had one young black guy come in and he was just like you know I really didn't expect to see this here and it's really nice and I was mm. like thanks yeah <laughs> a lot of hours went into it I'm so glad it made a difference in one person's life so it's yes it's, it's really lovely yeah and like one person at a time Ugh. yeah yeah and letting them know that we are a giant building and it is you know it used to be an old train station and it's mm. kind of got this monumental feel but at the same time you know we're paying attention and we're showing mm -hmm. things that matter yeah absolutely I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram it makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Pottsart, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. Well, I would love to spend some time hearing more about your work, too. Okay, so I currently am working on a series called Living Memory, and mm -hmm. they are drawings of caregivers and mothers and their children. Mm -hmm. I draw them on layers of vellum, and they are two separate layers. So the mother is on the background layer, and then the child is on the foreground layer. And the mothers are drawn in charcoal, and the children are drawn in pen and ink in a very realistic style with a very minimal background. Mm. I do this in response to my mother's journey with dementia. So as I said, my mom had a stroke when I was 16. And about two years ago now when I was pregnant, no, sorry, I was three years, oh goodness, three years ago when I was pregnant, she got diagnosed with dementia, which we mm -hmm. had suspected because we could tell that something was changing. Mm -hmm. But her conversation skills have dropped off significantly. And so I find myself digging through memories of mm -hmm. how she she raised me and trying to remember how she reacted whenever toddlers threw tantrums and things like that mm. so that I can know how to react. Because mm. when you think about memory, 
in itself, it's like these little glass sculptures, these little glass squares where we build and build and build because memory are these these recollections that we have and these experiences that build our decision-making skills. And when all of those go away, it's scary. Mm -hmm. So I just worry about her like being lost in her own mind, you know, like not being able to recall things. So as I was processing all of this, like I have in everything in life, I turned to art because it's a lot healthier than drugs and alcohol. (laughs) And I, yeah, my dad was really thrilled that I like turned to art in high school (laughs) (laughs) because he was like, okay, this is a good outlet. This is healthy. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. But whenever I go through hard things, I usually turn to art making and I started making all these drawings and I also thought it was interesting as I layered up the moms being in the background it's kind of like this ghosty faded version of the mother so you can't really see her you can but you can't you lose some of the focus and the details and I do that purposefully because that's kind of whenever you're a child you're not really paying attention to what your mom is doing at any particular time unless it drives you crazy and you're just like why would you make me do this but you may not remember how exhausted she was or what she looked like or what she was wearing. And you might, but not all kids pay attention to those little details. So as as her memory was fading, I found myself trying to pull the memories that I had with her out of my brain a little bit more intensely. Mm -hmm. And so I started drawing these mothers and their children, and they're not necessarily just my mom. They're mothers that I've gotten images from friends. I've taken some of the images, some of my son and myself. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was really interesting that as I layered them up, the moms kind of fade into the background of their own stories. Mm -hmm. And how often does that happen? Like for all all moms. And then, but the focus is on the kid. The kid's always in the foreground, the forefront of our minds. And Mm -hmm. so we're always focusing on them. Where we live depends on the school district, where we move. Mm -hmm. Like it all depends on our children and how many decisions we make based off of that. Would it be good for the kids? Should I change the school? You know, Mm -hmm. is he getting too much screen time? (laughs) And I do the children in pen and ink because it's kind of this painstaking medium that takes forever, but it's also permanent. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when I tell my toddler to put on his shoes, it's a glacial experience (laughs) and it just takes forever. But it's kind of like parenting feels like it's just like the monotony of the everyday just is like, come on, come on. But also at the same time, I feel like every mark I make on my child is very permanent. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me, even if I have doubt, I'm making a mark and it's there and I can't erase it. Kind of Mm -hmm. like whenever we're parenting, we're making decisions and we have no idea if they're actually right, but we're trying. (laughs) And that's when we pull on the memories that we have of our own parents, how they did things, whether we decide to do what they did or not, like making conscious decisions. I will not do this because my mom did this and it drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. But making those conscious decisions are all based on previous experiences, which are memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So beautiful the way you speak about your work and, you know, (laughs) I really care about it. (laughs) Yes. Oh, and I just thinking about this, these permanent marks, I saw something the other day saying that a child's experiences before age seven are like what sort of shapes them, which gave me, yes, gave me an immense amount of anxiety because I was like, she's five. I've already screwed everything up. I only have two years to fix it and I'm not going to be able to fix it. Yeah. And and that's a universal feeling, that feeling of not knowing Mm -hmm. and like all moms feel it. And it's just, 
it's so hard and there is no right or wrong. Like, I really don't think so. I think that there's studies and and things like that, but we just keep asking the question. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's a definite yes or a definite no in a lot of like those in-between decisions. Mm -hmm. Those are what are so hard. And so like, as my mom lost her sense of storytelling Mm -hmm. and recollecting, it was really difficult for me. And so that's why I started making this new series and just started building upon it. And I cried through a lot of it. Mm. I cry still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> My mom used to have a refrigerator magnet that said tears are antifreeze for the soul. Oh. And she cried all the time. She was a crier. My dad mm. said she was like a faucet. But um, <laughs> I remember she used to say, I'm just getting a little dose of antifreeze. I'm good. Uh. And so anytime I cry, I try to like let myself cry let myself thaw as she would say and just let it go and then move move forward yeah yeah it's so cathartic like let it out let it Mm -hmm. you know and even as a way again to like model for our kids that emotions are okay like show them have them (laughs) yes 100 percent yeah especially toddlers they show and have a lot of emotions (laughs) oh yeah all you you toddler parents out there I feel you (laughs) and it's interesting too because like pulling back to where the teacher said so what because I can render in this style Mm -hmm. I can also cover it up so it's kind of this push and pull of creating hyper realism and then hiding it Mm -hmm. that I think also creates a question within the viewer and then I think I hope it also puts the viewer in a position of empathy mm-hmm. and kind of takes a moment to say, well, why is she in the background? Why mm-hmm. is she faded? And right. then step into their shoes and maybe question it. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that through this series that people will question why is the norm to always kind of push the mom into the background or push the woman into mm-hmm. the background? Why is it the norm? And should it be? And question that a little bit. But I also hope that at the end of the day that people will look at my work and then call their own moms and ask them mm-hmm. the questions that they wish they could ask. Because yeah. there's so many things that I wish I could ask Ugh. and I can't. And so all of my titles of my work are also questions that either I wish I could ask my mom or people have submitted that they wish they could ask their mom. I have a submissions page on my site so that, and they're, oh my gosh, they're beautiful and heartbreaking and so bittersweet. Mm. Some are just beautiful and just like, did you ever know you were as beautiful as I thought you were? Mm. And then some of them are, why did you stay? And it's Mm. just so many different ways but there's so many things that we wish that we could ask when they're gone so if anyone if anyone has a mom who's still here just call them say I love you ask them a question Mm -hmm. be curious about their life yeah that's beautiful beautiful prompt too you know and and when you lose someone it's Mm -hmm. never you never want like the big stuff back you just want the little conversations the Mm -hmm. breakfast the coffees the you know why you want someone to get mad at you because you bought the wrong kind of coffee at at the grocery store like you want to have a fight because of something silly those are the moments you know so Mm -hmm. I just hope people embrace them yeah it's bringing tears to my eyes (laughs) it's okay it's antifreeze yeah and I cry a lot with my work I've had lots of people reach out and say you know like I'm sobbing looking at your work and that's okay like I cry all the time in the studio because it's hard and life is hard you know Mm -hmm. and it's important to take the good and the bad there's a lot of Mm -hmm. bittersweet in life like I just had a solo show and I got into some publications and I would give any money in the world though to be able to call my mom Mm -hmm. and say oh my god mom I got into 
a magazine. Like, this is so awesome. I'm in Create. Uh, you don't know what that is, but it's really awesome. Yeah. And then have her be like, I'm going to buy 15 copies, you know, and just have that uh, conversation of love. And instead, like, she just stares at me on the Skype screen, which I'm glad mm-hmm. she's still there to stare. And I'm, ble- mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. But I cry at the end of every Skype call because I just wish she could know that I'm trying to let- share her story, that she was mm-hmm. the hero in so many of my stories. And I want other people to think of their moms in the same way, mm-hmm. that they're, she's not perfect. She never was. But that's not the yeah. point, yeah. you know, and the points to survive and then just keep going and to make the most of things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wish, I so wish that I could have her brain back for like 10 minutes just to have uh. a conversation with her. But yeah. Uh. That's so tough. But life is. My life dad used to is. say, oh. life ain't for sissies, babe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Southern. Uh, yeah. Oh. I haven't said very many Southern things, have I? Has my accent been coming through? <laughs> I think it comes through mostly when you quote your dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, mom was an oh. English teacher and she was very adamant that we spoke mm. eloquently. So, uh, yeah, my dad, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So I'm thinking about the the people whose parents maybe are still around but are estranged for whatever reason. And just that the struggle of that grief as well. Yeah, that's really difficult. Yeah. Daisy Patton did some beautiful I think she made it into a podcast, but she did mm. some interviews. Have you ever seen her work? I don't think so. I should oh, look that I up. I love her work. Uh, but Daisy mm. Patton, she's got these really large photographs that she prints and then she mounts them on panel and then she paints on top of them with like Mm. um, different washes and things like that. And they're huge. They're like seven feet by 10 feet. Like they're gigantic. Mm. And she talks a lot about nostalgia, about memory, about a lot of the similar themes that I'm working with. But she was estranged, I think from her dad. I hope Mm. that was her dad. So, but she made a whole podcast series where she interviewed people who were estranged from their parents. And it's (laughs) heart-wrenching. But yeah, it's very beautiful. I forget what it's called. I know that the series of work that she made, uh, Forgetting Takes So Long, I think is what it's called. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Oh, I know. She just tugs on all your heartstrings. But yeah, Yeah. love me some crazy time. Yeah, I saw some some quote about that, that, you know, it's a similar grief, even when as, as the grief you feel when you lose a parent. But no one understands and you don't get any casseroles. <laughs> yeah. And that was, yeah, I can, I can kind of feel that too, because it's like my mom's here, but she's not. Right. Even though it wasn't uh, her decision to go, mm-hmm. it's still, and, and that grief, I think is, it's riveting. It's uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Mm. So there's everyone's got a mom, everyone's got a dad, and they've all got a story. Yeah. And that's what makes your work is so vulnerable and so personal, but still so relatable, which just makes it so powerful. Lots of so's in there. Yeah. And I actually get really scared to get that vulnerable. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I finish a piece and I'm, you know, crying alone in my studio mm-hmm. and I got my cat and I'm petting my cat and I'm just, just crying. And I'm just like, I can't show this. People are going to think that I'm saying, oh, poor pitiful me and my mm-hmm. sob story. But I have to like get over that and mm-hmm. say, you know, but maybe someone will look at this and then say, I'm not alone. My mm-hmm. mom has dementia too. My dad had a stroke, like whatever it is Mm -hmm. and then they anytime they send me out a direct message I like you know 
cry with them because Mm -hmm. you're not alone. And sometimes like the way that the world wants us to portray ourselves as these, you know, perfect beings just producing Mm -hmm. all of the art under the sun, you know, it's just not always the case. And it's really hard. The hard stuff in life is still there. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't talk about it. But when you do, it's a beautiful opportunity to create connection. So I hope that people feel connected to the work and don't feel like I'm trying to talk about how hard my life has been. Because everybody has a story. Everybody has had difficulties that they've had Mm -hmm. to overcome. But I hope that they look at it and say, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. I mean, I completely feel that. Well, good. Yeah. (laughs) Or whenever they go through something difficult with their parents later on in life, they Mm -hmm. can think, oh, that artist, I totally get it now Mm -hmm. that this is what it feels like to be shoved into the background or Mm -hmm. something along those lines. Right. Yeah. And you've found, I feel like you found your answer to that. So what? Just keep doing what you're doing, but change it up a little bit. It's okay. Yes. But it's true. It's true. So what? Mm -hmm. You can draw. So what? You can paint. Yeah. What? your voice what are you what saying you gonna say about it so yeah it took me mm. uh, over a decade to get to the point where I was able to talk about it so all of you yeah. that feel that inner art rush like I call them art attacks where you're like I just want to be there oh. I just want to move forward I just want to have like 16 museum shows by next year <laughs> I understand that but it takes time oh. And thinking of that sort of process, how have you kind of sought out opportunities for your artwork? And do you feel like working for a museum has been a big help there? It's taken away the fear. Uh I used to like every time I would get a rejection, I would say, oh my gosh, it's Uh me. But I have discovered it has nothing to do with me (laughs) at all. Yeah, it took away a lot of the fear, just the amount of art that we look at, the the conversations that we have, you know, like, would this fit with this show? Could we do this person with this person? Mm-hmm. It turns into a different conversation mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm not good enough or my art isn't good enough. It's just my art didn't fit with that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. There'll be another one. So I have grown less afraid of applying. So I, I will send a cold call to a curator and say, hey, this is the artwork I'm making. This is what it looks like. This mm-hmm. is the budget. Let me know if you ever want to have a show or want to put me with someone else. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Look how prepared I am. Yes. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Everything's already framed. So it takes away a bit of that fear. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of juried calls. I think that juried calls and publications have led to more opportunities for me and my art mm-hmm. than most other things. It's not necessarily like, oh, I know this curator. I know this situation. It's if you get into a juried call and you send everything on time and you're very professional, they will probably remember you more mm-hmm. and and then they will be more likely to work with you in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I try to think of it as like I'm sowing fruit trees. Mm-hmm. I'm not sowing basil. So it's going to be a much longer wait before I see the fruit, mm-hmm. but I'll see some leaves along the way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. I do get the fever where I'm like, oh, why isn't any, why did I just get 12 rejections in oh. two weeks? This really sucks because that's a big investment and I know it mm-hmm. is, but it's just that it wasn't right for that situation. Yeah. It doesn't mean it was wrong. And it doesn't mean that the juror didn't remember mm. me. It just means that that's not the place and the time. And that's okay. Right. And it's, n- it's never about you. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> if I could emphasize any of that, like, it is never about 
you. Mm-hmm. It is about what fits in what areas at that yeah, time. That's so helpful. I mean, I feel like I hear it all the time and I even say it, but this week <laughs> I got three rejections that were all like big things I cared about and I was crying oh. and was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> everyone does that. I do that. Oh. Everyone does that. Oh, I have to send out those rejections. Oh, Oh, that's a hard day for me because like there's so many good artists out there and I have to be like right now yeah (laughs) but we're seeing this yeah there are lots of occasions like that and it's Mm -hmm. so hard and it never it does get easier the more you apply though Mm -hmm. it's more like water on a duck's back like it's just like okay moving on so the more you apply the easier it Mm -hmm. gets but it's not fun it's not fun it never is fun I usually give myself like a couple hours to have a little pity party and then get over it and move on. Right. Decide what else I'm going to keep going. It's the only option. Yeah. Not in it for the money. Just remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other things you could do if that was your motivation. Yes. And there are lots of other venues apart from, you know, museums and galleries and things like that. If money making is your goal, mm-hmm. you know, listen to Ashley Longshore, start being an entre- entrepreneur, like mm-hmm. you start making your own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but if it's because you want to show and you think about why you want to show, mm-hmm. it's a different mental conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. For me, it is at least. Yeah, totally. For you? I think so. Not just me? Yeah, wanting, I feel like there's a difference between like wanting to have uh, have your work have like a conversation and... And wanting it to go above a couch. Right. <laughs> like like they really are some of them can do both Mm -hmm. and some artists do make amazing work that looks great above the couch and also says something Mm -hmm. but there are also some artists who just really want it to look good above the couch and that is awesome there's a whole industry for that Mm -hmm. you know so it's something to consider as well Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and have you had are there any sort of resources that have been really helpful along the way within your art career Mm. like any resources tools or sort of tips that you would point artists towards you've already offered so many (laughs) (laughs) so a couple of things Mm -hmm. I here I'll start on like personal and then go to like business I absolutely (laughs) adore the community with the artist mother podcast Mm -hmm. Kaylin all of them are absolutely incredible and she's actually let me be a mentor a few rounds with their critique group program and it is Mm -hmm. just nourishing for my soul Mm -hmm. to connect with other artists who are also mothers who are just trying to make it just like we all are and like that sense of community and networking has Mm -hmm. been one of the most beautiful things that I have seen in the last few years. Mm -hmm. So she and her crew and just like all of that is just amazing. But then also on the business side, the call for entry website, I actually get to work with them through work, Mm -hmm. but they're a nonprofit and they have, in my opinion, one of the best call setups in, Mm -hmm. in the world wide web. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Old when I say that, Uh, you know, also just having a really supportive partner, Mm-hmm. has been <laughs> insanely helpful. Mm-hmm. So even if I don't want to get in the studio, he'll say, you said you were going to get in the studio tonight. Why aren't you in the studio? You're still not in the oh. studio. Why are you on Instagram? Get off of Instagram. Get in the oh. studio. I'm like, gosh, why are you sitting? Why do you care so much? <laughs> <laughs> but he does. He wants me to do better than I think that I can. Mm-hmm. And so like having his constant support has been like without that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And he didn't get to meet my mom before she got sick, but he has been such a rock for me to like fall on whenever things have gotten hard with her. 
and I know he will be until the end of time. So that's, he's awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful and so needed. Big shout out to all the partners out there who are making things happen. Yeah, and I love that, you know, it's it's almost a little bit of like tough love, like get in the studio, like get off of Instagram. He's very, yeah, and in like the kindest way. But at the same time, he he will keep me accountable for my own goals Mm -hmm. and achievements and make sure that I achieve them with force. Oh, yeah, that is so needed. Yeah. I feel like my husband does almost the opposite. He's like, you're spending too much time. Like, take a break. <laughs> like, give yourself a break. Yeah, and he'll tell me take a break if it's been a few hours yeah. or if I'm really frustrated or if I'm crying too oh. much. He's like, maybe you need to take a break. <laughs> yeah. It's enough antifreeze. <laughs> oh, my antifreeze flowing. So, and sometimes they'll like cry with me. So it, it all oh. works out. He's oh, a sweetie. I love it. I have a few just kind of fun, like wrapping up questions. Okay, let's do it. So the really broad one that I love to ask, what are you curious about? I am curious. Well, this is in line with my work. I'm researching memory. Mm. I'm currently reading a book called The Art of Nostalgia. Mm. And I'm also reading, oh gosh, I can't remember. It's one of my audiobooks, but it's talking about nostalgia as well and mm. memory and like how cells store memory in the brain Mm. it's a bit more scientific and not normally in my realm but I'm trying to like get into the nitty-gritty of Mm. how our brains store memories and why they change Mm. and how they change perspective as we age or fade or resurface like why does that happen Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about that Mm. so yeah that's so interesting now I want to go read those I highly recommend it it's really neat when you start to think about like what what is a memory Mm -hmm. can you remember your earliest memory Uh, what's your earliest hmm. memory I feel like well my early memories I don't know what would be the first yeah I don't either but a lot of people have very significant like this was my first I can't I don't know I mean the ones I have a couple that stand out from when I was around five what was what's the first one that comes to mind they're I mean they're like (laughs) I think probably because they were traumatic it's like my parents fighting or my dad it was right in the like the 80s stock market crash and my dad I guess had invested a lot and like had a major mental like breakdown when he lost a lot so have this memory of him like crying which he never does. Yeah, I can remember my dad crying. It wasn't for the stock market crash, but we <laughs> cry when we watch You've Got Mail and Funny Girl oh. at the end of both. And I remember I used to always turn to him like, are you crying yet? And he was like, yeah, oh. <laughs> sweet fellas. I've got a sweet dad and a sweet husband. So I'm a lucky lady. Yeah. Oh, so sweet. What are your early, is that one of the early I memories? I, I, I remember the texture of chalk drawing mm. in the, like under the patio. And we had these two different levels of smoothness. I don't know. My dad probably had a project. He always had a project. But so we had these really smooth area under the carport. And I remember drawing the chalk mm. and how it felt different on that surface mm. than it did on the rougher surface uh-huh. on like next to it. And kind of the pinks uh. and the yellows and the blues, kind of that texture, that yeah. smell, smell of outside. I remember all that. And the bowl cut. I remember it always getting in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that that all of that is like such artist <laughs> memory, you know, You're like the texture of the chalk, the color, the smell of it. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. You were a drawer even then. Okay, very just fun, silly question. What is your favorite food? Italian? Can I go with a mm. like a culture? A genre? I love pasta and pizza and mm. like 
like good Italian food, like mm-hmm. beans that have lots of flavors in them and like mm. stuff with fresh tomatoes and shrimp. All Yeah, Italian. Yeah. Did your time in Italy make that? Did you love it before then too? I mean, I did, but then I ate Italian food, oh. cooked Mama's, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like real Italian food. <laughs> it was so good. Love it. Mm-hmm. And then is there anybody that you would want to thank or give sort of a shout out to? Mostly my husband because I wouldn't be mm-hmm. able as much as I do without him. And it comes with a lot of sacrifice for him. You know, like when I need time in the studio, he definitely loses out time on coding and different things like that because mm-hmm. he's trying to further his career in different ways as well, as, like mm-hmm. as well as regular work. So him and then my high school art teacher Miss Medley. <laughs> Those high school art teachers, man, they can make big differences. She held me yes. while I cried a lot and uh, oh. she helped me find the channel of art as a way to express yourself and be okay. Mm. And, and like it was a healthy thing to do, mm. you know, whenever everything else in the world didn't make any damn sense at all. She was like, here's mm-hmm. a piece of charcoal, draw it out. I'm right here. Oh. If you need someone to sit in the dark with you, I'll sit in the dark and then I'll help you find light. You know, she was amazing. That's beautiful and amazing. Oh, I am going to I've got it scheduled I'm going to talk to my high school art teacher here oh my gosh that's awesome so yeah I'm so excited we've been sort of back in touch for a few years and because you know I moved around a lot and like totally lost touch with a lot of people (laughs) but yeah so excited to talk with her here and get to hear and share more of her story and just yeah the impact that those teachers can have high school art teachers Uh, art teachers in general can just change life in so many positive mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. And it's been so interesting here, just hearing how many people got into teaching because of either a really amazing teacher or sometimes a really horrible teacher. <laughs> yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> Where they were like, they're like, hmm, yeah, like, I want to do it better, or this is exactly how I right. do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Oh. Okay. Final thing Where can our listeners connect with you online? Sure. And I will link to everything. Okay. I am on Instagram. At Beth Welch Studio. I am I have a website, bethwelchart.com. And yeah, my email's on there. Everything's on there. If any if anyone needs anything, shoot me a shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I'm here. Awesome. And then I love that you have that submission also on your site for people to share yeah, like their the questions. questions, their experience. And if I have yeah. another solo exhibition, I will include those as well. Because this time I had mm. an area where you could write down your question and then like hang it on a little clothesline with a little clothespin. Mm. And you got to write on the vellum. So it was kind of neat. So you got to like touch the paper that I work on and then write. Yeah. In the pen. So you still get that tactility, but also you don't touch my mm. art, which makes me happy. Yes. And then uh, people got to hang them. So that was really lovely being able to read those at the end of the show. But that, if if the show continues, which hopefully it will, mm-hmm. I will continue to add those questions. So submit your questions anytime. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Beth. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. 
it really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.